Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? This is a special episode. My guest, Ellie Freizagel, founded Successful Generations Coaching because she herself comes from the world of family legacy, philanthropy, and the dynamics of succession planning. You'll be captivated by the energy Ellie brings to life and leadership coaching for those who are leading a family business or those rising into leadership, which she calls the now generation. Now is the time to get real-world coaching and guidance from Ellie Freisagel on Generation Excellence. Well, good morning, Ellie Freisagel. Welcome to Generation Excellence podcast. As someone who's in the world of successful generations, we'll get those two things enmeshed pretty well here today. Uh, but where 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 are we finding you this 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 fine morning? West side of the state, I assume. West side of Michigan. Yes, west side of Michigan. Good morning, Jamie. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I am. I hail as of right now from Grand Rapids, Michigan, which yes, it is on the west side of the state in Michigan. Great. Figured that was the case, but I hadn't asked you before when we were just getting things together. So you, you know, like me, are kind of the third part of the third generation of. Uh, a business and the paths that it's taken. So if you could kind of, as you tell it, cause some now there's mythology always when people are part of third gen and they tell these things, but you know, going back to the founding and whatever the origin business was in the Fry family, that's now led to a, you know, a foundation that you're, you're a trustee of, and that's very active, but if you could just sort of tell the listeners that, you know, the roots of the tree, if you will. Oh, no problem. So the family business was uh, banking, a regional bank called okay. Union Bank, and it was based really in Western Michigan, all the way up from Grand Rapids area, all the way up uh, to Northern Michigan. And um, so that's where uh, my grandfather was the second generation. His father started it. And then um, my grandfather, my, excuse me, my uncle ran it after my grandfather. Um, and it was sold in that time frame. Uh, so yeah. Uh, we, my grandfather also started foremost insurance company. And so, um, he saw a need, he figured it out. I'm so proud of him and the work that, you know, in kind of meeting this need. Um, and, uh, and then the sale of both the bank as well as, uh, shares in, in foremost, uh, upon my grandparents passing endowed our family foundation. Understand. Um, yep. So we're about $150 million foundation, very place-based, uh, you know, really giving back to the community that gave so much to our family. And so, you know, place-based meeting Western Michigan, three counties, Kent County, Charlotte County, Emmett County up North. And, um, and I've been doing this work since I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. So I am third generation. I'm the vice chair. I, the, the board. So when you now, say doing this, when you say doing this work, you mean involved in the foundation from yes, that? I've been, yes, I've been working with my family or on a boardroom table since the, I was 15 years old. <laughs> and um, so for your, your parents, because the businesses that were sort of this had been sold or one was another, were, were they ever in the business part or also just involved in the, did, 
did they pursue other things career-wise? Are you talking about my my father or? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So my father, uh, who is actually one of my role models, you uh, is ask about mentors and role models. Yeah, yeah. we talk about um, yeah mentors and role models. Um, my father was the eldest boy, um, okay. and his father really wanted him to go in the bank. My father was an actor. He worked oh. in the rodeo. He like, he fly fishes. Like he does not want to be anywhere near a suit. <laughs> and um and corporate and so he did not he was that black sheep of the family and decided okay. not to work in the family business um and you could see how a powerful role model that could be when you're talking about working with your family yes so yeah he was never he was he served on the board of foremost he served on the board of of union bank i believe as well but he never uh, he, he, other than a very memorable brief stint, did not work in the bank. So you talk about, you know, being involved around the boardroom table, the kitchen table, if you will, both, you know, back to when you're 15. But do you have what is like your earliest memory of the businesses and, and the stuff that was was a family business and in, in its, you know, before it was sold? Yes. So I have a really unique uh, perspective on the family business side of things, meaning I didn't know anything about it. Okay. Right? You know, my, my father brought us up in a very small town of 4,000 people, okay. uh, a town called Charlevoix. And he was, he decided he wanted to be a farmer. And so he was, he, we, we did cattle and cash crops and very far away from the banking um, headquarters of Grand Rapids. Right. And so I didn't realize that there was a family <laughs> business. I didn't know anything. I didn't, I didn't know about really my grandparents' wealth other than, other than when I went to their house really. And it was sure. weird, um, especially at, at a young age. Uh, Cause we didn't, that was not our experience. We did not grow up with, um, with, with wealth. And so, yeah, so that was my, my early experiences. It wasn't until my parents really, my, excuse me, my dad really invited me onto the, to explore the, the world of philanthropy and invited me to explore being what the third generation of, of the Fry Foundation um, meant uh, that I realized this, <laughs> there was so much about this, my family that my dad's side of the family that I didn't, I didn't even know. And then, you know, is there, the because whenever a foundation is created, it kind of has a, a charter, a mission, a scope, right? So that that was already cast before you got involved and became a trustee. But can you, you know, for listeners, talk about like the Fry Foundation, just sort of its its mm -hmm. you you mentioned place based, but like what was the sort of thinking as that was set up and and how that kind of tries to keep the flame alive of of that idea. Oh, sure. So uh, you're right. The bylaws were created uh, before me. The mission vision, uh, okay. those were created by my aunt and my, my three, my uncles and my father. I, because um, it says the foundation was actually <clears throat> endowed by my grandparents passing. <clears throat> the foundation was actually endowed by my grand parents passing. So they weren't involved in the kind of that initial charter. So we give in those three counties that I mentioned before, and we give in very broad areas. So our buckets include like women and children, um, uh, in the environment, arts and culture, uh, something that we now call building communities. So there, 
there is a lot that can happen in those buckets, uh, but yet there's they are still buckets. And how, how in in its current um, you know board and trustee structure and all that. So how many besides yourself? How many other family members are you? making those decisions are you sitting with, if you will, mm -hmm. that are part of mm -hmm. that organization right now? Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I'm really proud of. Uh, the second generation really did a man magnificent job engaging that third generation. Okay. You know, out of 10 out of 10 of us have been engaged in some form or fashion in Nice. Uh, in the in the family foundation. And I don't know about you, Jamie, but when I go to conferences and that's the question I get asked the most. How did your family engage you and your yes. family philanthropy? And it could be family business. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of connection between the two similarities. Uh, and you know, so this is this is a topic that I've given, I've I've talked about in my podcast, I've given this this presentation across the country. Uh, in fact, more and more as this generational wealth is being transferred, uh, is that really incredible, like my the second generation did a magnificent job again, like bringing in the third generation from from a pretty early age. And and so how do you how do you all communicate, make decisions, um, and do that in a I guess well civil would be good or a beautifully smooth or however you refer to it. Like how how do you all communicate and make decisions? in this because i mean there's businesses that try to grow and make money then there's philanthropic organizations that have the charter to give money away both have their challenges um and can have disagreements or tensions or discussions so you know how do you guys wrestle with all that yes so let's face it working with your family is not for everyone right <laughs> there there are some special <laughs> wonderful things about working with your family and it can also be incredibly painful yeah uh, so what I think the culture of the foundation, I think it comes back to the culture of uh, the foundation that the second generation set, you know, how the second generation set the foundation up. And that was really like a bank. Okay. Like we are less run like a family foundation and more like a business that has, that just happens to have family members as trustees. And that's a subtle difference, meaning like we don't like, our board meetings are Robert's rules. Everything's very professional. We're okay. where we are like our led um, our governance is done by the third generation, but really we have a we have a professional staff that we heavily rely on uh, to basically take our vision and bring it forth into the community. And so they are the ones going out and sourcing amazing grants. They're doing all the due diligence. They're making sure the financials are, are appropriate. They're giving the recommendations. Um, we've set a lot of guidelines on, on those recommendations um, through giving really good grants. I'm like, oh, that worked. And giving some not so good grants and be like, oh, that didn't work. We should, we should try to change something. Um, and so I think the culture of the foundation really lends itself to not be squabbling. Like there's no, like, I don't want to say this because the work that we do is so amazing and there's, we're full of passion for it. I think each and every one of us loves sure. the work that we do around the boardroom table, but there's, it's, it's not about me. It's not about my disagreement with my brother. It is about, it's about giving amazing grants and get, 
in a way that's very impactful into the community. Got it. Right. And that's fulfilling in and of itself. And you got to work through things. So you you mentioned going to conferences. So where along and 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 what you do in in a foundation role, I mean it's a lot of work, but it's it's not a full-time every day all the time job. Is that correct? That is correct. So you have time then to educate yourself, do other things. So where where did you get bitten by the bug to go? They they engaged me. I come in as part of the third gen. I'm involved in this foundation where you go. I'm going to like be the student of generational family organizations. I'm going to go to conferences. I'm going to ultimately start a business that coaches and counsels others that in that, like where, where, where did that, when and where did that happen? Sure. Uh, That didn't, embarrassingly enough, that didn't happen until I was about 25. (laughs) So I'd been in already meeting with my family uh, at least twice a year. Um, and, and my family at that time is mostly the third generation. We were kind of meeting at a junior board. We we're meeting sure. together, although the, the second generation was involved uh, in those. They were in, involved in those meetings as well. So I, at 25, I went to Uganda and I lived in Uganda for about six months and I worked for a businessman. So I didn't it wasn't even working for an NGO or anything like that. Okay. I worked for a businessman and I was looking around and I was like. Oh, like it took me two weeks, Jamie, to realize that these beautiful children who were waving to me as I was in my little car or on the bus um, going to work, because we lived in a um, in a Ugandan middle class community, so it wasn't like a gated community or anything like that. Right. We just are right outside Kampala. And these, I, it took me two weeks to realize these beautiful children were completely naked, and the pile of wood behind them was most likely their house mm-hmm. or where they lived. And I just, my middle-class naivete just was like shattered. It was a major cultural shift for me. And uh, I, it's a little bit embarrassing that at that time, like it took me, I don't know, I kind of judged myself for like, it taking that long. Like I traveled the world before, but it just was like something massive just shifted. And I realized at that, mo- that moment that I had an opportunity that I was not taking advantage of that I was, I'm going to, I want to use the word squandering. Cause you can kind of hear that as a, that's kind of the judgment in me yeah. uh, of, of me at that time. Um, I don't, I don't think of myself at that way now, but like, but at that time I was just like, I'm squandering this. I'm not, to, you know, I am, this is my responsibility to give back. I had the opportunity. And from that moment on, I was just like, I am going to learn everything I can about being a good philanthropist. I didn't use that word at that time, but like, I, I'm just, I'm going to learn everything I can about family philanthropy. I'm going to learn everything I can about being a good board member. I'm just going to be an open, maybe a sponge and kind of have this beginner's mindset and the beginner's mindset wasn't a thing at that time. Yeah. <laughs> so that, was, that was a while ago. Um, and that was really my changing moment. I, unfortunately, I say, unfortunately, because it was a major cultural shift, um, to move to New York city. I moved to Manhattan right afterwards. And I, the good thing about moving to Manhattan is that there are so many people doing this work close by. So I was just calling people. I was emailing people like, Hey, do you mind meeting with me? I want to know, I want to learn more about what you're doing. And from there I learned about the different conferences. That's why I started attending conferences. The foundation was willing to pay. And did you find, was your experience that most people were pretty open to Mm-hmm. to to that okay oh yes um yeah because you're not asking them for money you're asking for no. advice and, and yeah you get advice okay 100 percent. 
hundred percent. And you know, I'm, I'm like 20 something. So sure. uh, <laughs> it was very unthreatening in every which way, shape and form. So it just, it, and I just really spent the next, I would say five, four years learning everything that I could about uh, foundations, family foundations. Um, and then around 28, I moved to Grand Rapids to take an internship in, uh, at the family foundation. Cause I didn't know anything about Grand Rapids. I didn't wow. grow up there. Right. And I really just started to build a relationship with the, the communities in which we served. Um, I served at nonprofits, I, at, at the board level, I actually was a director of two nonprofits, including one that served multi-generational family businesses. And like I just dove right in and became a learner of, that, <laughs> of everything that's I not, That's not typical of people who are, as far as I know, you know, in philanthropy and some of these foundations, uh, you know, to have that that hunger an eagerness to learn and absorb and be the sponge and like do it as well as you can do it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, so how have you, how is that then what led to you saying, I want to be kind of a life and leadership coach for others that are in generational operations? Mm -hmm. I was working in a membership organization called the Family Business Alliance. Uh, yeah, we were, okay. uh, so, yes, we talked a little bit about that earlier. And it's, you know, based in Grand Rapids. And we, we basically bring multi-generational family businesses, um, the next generation and what we call the now generation together through events, through peer groups, et cetera. And I was the, um, I was the, I, I grew that organization. Basically, I had this opportunity. <laughs> um, and then it was there that I really realized that, that my story was very similar to my friend's story because right. Western Michigan, um, I don't know how about Troy, but we are surrounded by multi-generational family businesses. It yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up because we have listeners from all over on Generation Excellence. And, and I don't think unless you know Michigan and, and Grand Rapids and West Michigan, there are just a, a tremendous number of like, if I say I'm third generation out there, they go, oh, hey, rookie. Like, you know, there's companies that are fourth and fifth and beyond, and there aren't that many pockets like that in this whole country. Uh, no. It's really that celebrated and cherished, and and there's the network, FBA being part of that. Okay, so. Yes, we call it, we call West Michigan the family business mecca. Actually, we don't call it, somebody else called it <laughs> that, and we just, so yeah, we just ran with it. Uh, and so for there, from being the director of that organization for nine plus years, I realized like, oh, I have my, our stories are linked. And then when I was getting coaching, um, I realized that coaches were not understanding my story as well as I wanted. And the coaching that I was getting was, I mean, these, these are wonderful coaches. I don't want to give them like, sure, I don't want to say sure. anything negative, but like they just, they just didn't really truly understand me nor, um, and a lot of the coaching that I got was very band-aid and I wanted why am I not getting these goals that I've set out to? Like, I want to get to the underlying, um, the underlying issue. I really wanted to peel back that, that onion. Uh, and so for, and then third, I've always wanted to have my own business. So I think for those three reasons, I left the Family Business Alliance and, uh, and, and then started Successful Generations, launched it with a podcast and I haven't looked back since. And, and what are some, because I do find having done this podcast, there are some recurring thematics that come up, some common things that organizations 
that you know the start to get into second, third, and beyond generations. What are you, what are what are some of your favorite ones to address, attack, talk about? Because you say you talk, you go to these conferences. Like, what are the things for those? You know, for someone who is, I like that phrase, now generation. I'm afraid to ask you if I'm part of the now generation anymore or whatever. But uh, so those that are now and next, what are what are the things they should be aware of, or thinking about, or reading about, or listening about, learning awesome. about? Jamie, that's like a totally that's a whole nother podcast. I know, it's a big universe. Uh, you know, I think that if you're a family business, I, I think the main thing, whether you're running the company, whether you're um, thinking about passing it down to the next generation, mm-hmm. whether you are the next generation, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think you want to realize that you're not alone. Yeah. I think that is the first and most important thing, because once you realize truly that other people and other families are going through something, maybe something similar that you're going through, like you can just kind of feel yourself relax and then you can start exploring who else is going through this. And so it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if it's addiction. It doesn't matter if it's succession. It doesn't matter if it's, I don't want to give this to my kids yet because I'm not ready mm-hmm. to retire. Um, or my parents won't leave. Or they won't <laughs> like, let go. Or, yeah, they won't yeah. let go. Um, and it's, you know, it's driving me crazy. Like this is every, like people get this. And unfortunately, at least when I was growing up, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about money. We didn't definitely didn't talk about philanthropy. We no. didn't talk about working with your family. Um, if you did, people are like, oh, poor you, you have a great job. You have an amazing family that you work with. Like you have it made basically, but that's not always the case. And mm. there's still some leadership development. There's still some, I'm going to call it scientifically stuff to work through. Um, And so just having the awareness that you're not alone, there are resources out there for you um, and that you don't have to do this alone. Um, Hopefully we'll allow your, because I have a mindset coach, right? Hopefully it'll allow you to kind of go explore what like all the stuff that you don't know, <laughs> like what you don't know, what you don't know. Um, and just kind of go explore and ask people questions and uh, find am- there's some amazing uh, organizations out there. Did, did I uh, hear correctly then you, you, you run successful generations, you founded it, you do that, you coach, you guide people in these, these generational organizations, but you also continue to have coaching and peer group involvement yourself is. Oh, uh, first of all, yes, oh, okay. <laughs> absolutely. I, uh, I am, I fully drink the Kool-Aid. I yeah. honestly think that every single leader should have a coach of them for themselves. Like it, it just like, I have two coaches. I'm not ashamed to admit that I love to learn. I am constantly working yeah. on like, how can I be a better leader? How can I be a better mom? How can I be a better spouse? Like, like, I just think that they're, and that's part of the, I think the family culture is we don't rest on our laurels. Like my, my second generation or first generation never rested on their laurels. They're like, oh, we're super successful. Now we're just going to coast. That was never part of Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm glad you bring that up because <laughs> I'm like you. I'm doing this. I like continuing yes. to learn about it. And I, I sometimes refer to myself as the chief agitation officer. Like when that thing in the washing machine, I, if, if we're not mixing it up, stirring it up, we could get complacent, get comfortable, and then you get run over and... And the advertising business is fast-changing, hyper-competitive. Kind of people don't care what you did yesterday. It's like, 
what did you do for me today? What are you doing tomorrow? Most actually, most businesses are that. And we can be proud of what we did in the past and all. So who is the first client of successful generations? Or what was the first client business? Do you remember? It's like the frame dollar bill on the wall. Like how did that get started? No, I um that's a great question. Uh so when you when you start, when I got my coaching certification, you go and basically coach everybody okay. <laughs> and um and uh for very little money and or for free you can also do that for free so there those early days was just a lot of like just coaching you gotta put in the reps right yeah you gotta put it in the reps exactly uh and then we had a family business that i actually met i knew the founder and the founders, like I knew the founders, um, he and his wife, and I had met the second generation like once or twice, but they went to my gym. <laughs> and so in the parking lot, speaking of putting in the reps, yeah. <laughs> right. Speaking of reps, you know, in the parking lot, we were talking about family business. And one of the second generation, it was in in laws, was just like, we need you. Like, I'm like, of course you need me. Everybody needs a coach. <laughs> so that was the first business that I actually coached their entire senior leadership team. And what we're doing with that company is really, uh, and maybe forgive this expense, expression, but it's like taking them out of the garage. Hmm. Uh, so Amway has a story where they started, Amway is a huge multi-billion dollar company and they're, they're founded in the Grand Rapids area. And they were started in the garage. I, I, I love that because HP was started in the garage. Amway was started in the garage. Well, uh, we have a garage door in our office now because we go, we weren't started in the garage, but we want to have a little taste of the garage. Uh, yes. So yeah, keep going. So get them, take them out of the garage. Okay. Yes. Because, you know, the founder is amazing. Like he grew this business into a, a beautiful size, but he's never he's never run a company the size that it currently is. And there's a lot of processes that just worked when it was just a founder and a few people, but it doesn't at this size. And so, and it causes some pain points as you can imagine. Um, So we're just really working on the mindset of that senior leadership team to kind of get them into that uh, kind of that beginner's mindset that kind of like, okay, what, what processes do we need to fix? okay, let's get started. Let's, who do we need to bring in? Do we need to bring in anyone? Is everybody in the right seat? You know, just kind of, and not being afraid to kind of, to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Uh, So that was the first company that I started working with the second generation, another husband and wife. And then now I work with their entire senior leadership team. And it's Amazing. Are, are there next generation individuals then that have some of the skills to help them, you know, the way they call it entrepreneur to the entrepreneur, you know, to try to systematize some stuff and, and do that. Is that, is that a case for that business where that that's there yet or. Yeah. So the, the founding generation is serving more as an advisory um, kind and of you're, work, you're working with the next generation. I am working with the next yeah. and they're, you know, kind of the president's future owners. Super. Okay. No, that's a perfect example. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you and I, before we hit the button, we talked about, I mean, in this moment we're in HBO succession tends to be this, this sort of thing that people that aren't part of generational businesses go, oh, yeah, see, they're all, they're all just 
dysfunctional and everybody just is just 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 stabbing each other in the back and all that it's it's usually without all that drama but sometimes there's some drama so as you've coached and you've guided and on leadership and communication and everything like what's a story or two of some that have 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 a little bit more uh um mm-hmm. a little drama to them or or how you've dealt how you've helped somebody deal with some tougher stuff i guess mm-hmm Yes. So anecdotally, um, <laughs> we can talk, we can talk about a, oh my gosh, I have so many because it, I mean, it is real, right? I, uh, <laughs> before Jamie and I were pushed the button, um, I, I had spoken about how I actually don't watch succession. Right. I watched the, I don't you know think I even got, yeah. yeah, I couldn't even get through the first episode because I hundred percent believe in family business and people put their blood, sweat, and tears into uh, this multi-generational work. I mean, this is not for the faint of heart. These are the, these are really amazing, strong people. And to, and to, to see them displayed as, uh, as frivolous and egotistical and backstabbing. And just like, like, not that there isn't some, um, some pain involved sometimes in like you thought you were going to be a leader and that's not how it turned out. Uh, so you know, those types of dynamics or like you're leading and the rest of your family is like criticizing your, your leadership um, or like you're being paid the same amount as your cousin who doesn't do anything, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's some, there is some pain and some stuff in family business. Not that I'm saying, I'm not saying, and there's not, I'm not trying to, to brush over that, but, um, but I think that <laughs> shows like succession do not paint family business in, uh, in a, a real or particularly authentic light. I just think it's, it's drama and Hollywood. So I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. No, 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 you're right. And it, it may be, and it may be loosely based on a business that is that way, but it's more the exception than the rule. Because if every generational longstanding family organization were that way, they, they wouldn't survive. They wouldn't make wouldn't it survive. because yeah. it's all, it's all the things it's really, I find watching it. It's kind of like, it's a reminder of a lot of the things not to do, you know, yes. uh, and it's exaggerated. Um, yeah, 100%. So let me give you a couple of uh, of those anecdotes. Actually, one is not an anecdote. Like one is flat up because he talks about this very openly. His name is Doug Box. And he is, I believe, the third generation of a family business that was in, I think, oil and real estate. Okay. Uh, and he actually wrote, I think, two books on this topic. So for anybody interested in his full story, it's a very compelling read. Um, and so Doug talks about how once the, is he second or third, once his generation became, um, once the father decided, and the father was a very like strong, te- sure. he was from Texas, um, and like, you know, Texan, like, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Uh, and kind of grooming the next generation, except the oldest brother wasn't as capable as I think the youngest brother was. And yet he didn't communicate like what his intentions mm-hmm. were. <laughs> and so when he passed, it just all went to blank in a, in a handbasket. Sure. And now we got, uh, now we have chaos. Yep. <laughs> now we have complete chaos. And so what ended up happening is the brothers sued each other okay. and the lawyer's the way Doug tells it, the lawyers got the wealth. 
<laughs> and um, like they ended up with very little. Uh, but the the interest uh, another like Hollywood kind of addition to this story is uh, Doug's house that he grew up in was actually where Dynasty was first filmed. Wow, Dallas, Dallas. Dallas was first filmed, yeah. right? Isn't that okay. the that's the show about yeah um, those the, family. So they, the, the soap operas of that time that, that yes. made family businesses look however they looked. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, but he grew up in this beautiful ranch mansion, South Fork Ranch, <laughs> like right. And so this is anyway. So he he has spoken in Grand Rapids at the Family Business Alliance. He's you know he's he's spoken around the country on this very topic. But he tells a story where he's like, I never would have done what I did had I known what I know, what I know now. Mm. And like that painful, like, just like- Having to go through. Ruining, yes, ruining. But is it, is it, is it, is he, I, I'm, I have to look up his books because this is a great example of something that comes up when we talk to people who have gone through this or that advise. Did, was he as the next gen, were they trying to have this conversation with the parents about who was going to lead the organization and they just didn't get to it before people passed away? Or just did the conversation not happen at all? Uh, they may have tried. Uh, and there may, I think what ended up, the way Doug tells it is like there was a lot of assumptions. Okay. And, uh, and those assumptions maybe weren't reality. And those assumptions uh, weren't codified in writing. Correct. Okay. Right. So, yeah. And there's some entitlement. And he talks about the entitlement aspect of things, like those assumptions, this lack of communication. Um, and then listening to and listening to the lawyers, uh, and then having that reliance on outsiders that uh, you know he he said like he he maybe he regretted having. Um, so it was anyway. It was just a one example of like how family businesses can, how families can implode uh, if, in my opinion, if there's not like the the conversation the communication uh, that. Um, that really does need to happen when you're talking about wealth, we're talking about succession, um, when you're talking about ownership. Uh, uh, and you, go ahead. No, well, you, 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 you are a life and leadership coach for next generation of family business, philanthropy, wealth management, all of those things. So I want to break those down and talk about the two of them. Let's start with the leadership piece. Like, mm -hmm. how do you, because I'm, I'm definitely a student of sort of that big universe of leadership because there's so many definitions of it and what it means. But like, how do you characterize yourself as a leader? Hmm. So that's a really interesting question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. So I characterize myself as a leader as like, I help empower others. Okay. And I do this by trying to be the best role model mm -hmm. I can be. Uh, and so I think that's really, I mean, I told you I had two coaches, like I, there's a lot of work, at least it takes for me <laughs> to, to kind of maintain a mindset of, I'm a, like, I want to be the role model yeah, for others. Truly yeah. by example and role model. Example, exactly, exactly. And then the other piece is a really big box, a life and leadership coach. So life mm -hmm. coach, but so talk about what that when you that phrase what is what do you mean as far as life and because it's life and leadership the two go together but what's right what is your for successful generations what's your business what's your what is sure. your take on the life part 
So, I mean, a life coach is that designation that a lot of people are recognizing right now. So for a long time, I was just a family business coach or I was like a leadership coach. Um, And so as I've evolved, I've kind of, I'm I'm working on like, where, what what do I actually coach my clients on? And so I, Uh. I specialize in working with those who work with their family. (laughs) And it's because some people don't necessarily consider themselves a family business and some people don't necessarily know the term family enterprise. And um, so if you work with your family, I'm your coach. (laughs) So, uh, and where you do one thing is, is where you do everything or how you do one thing is how you do everything. So for instance, when we coach um, on business, and this is what I was seeing with my coaches when I was, uh, when I was younger, like it would bleed into how I did things at home. Got it. Or with my family. And so to really be able to unpack that with somebody who has like the tools who, um, who I can, I can trust. I'll just use for me, like somebody I can trust who has the tools, who understands, who can ask me good questions because coaching is all about awareness. I truly believe like once you have awareness of why you're, um, you know, (laughs) we say in coaching, like hurting yourself, like not Mm. physically actually, but like, but like, just like, you know, you want to get somewhere you can't, you continually are not getting somewhere. It's like, you're smacking into a wall (laughs) instead of getting through the wall. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And so that's, that's what we've referred to as kind of hurting yourself. Um, I don't want to, you know, I talk about the the figuratively banging heads up against a wall or sometimes knocking heads together. Uh, (laughs) You know, those are other people's heads, but um, in a general, once you realize what you're like, why you're doing that, like I a hundred thousand percent in my clients that they will do, do something about it. Do I give them the tools to do something about it? Absolutely. But like, but once you have that awareness, like you can make the change if you choose to. And, and, and mechanically then someone's a client of yours. How often do they meet with you? Do you meet with them? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yep. So I have two programs. One is a uh, one-on-one. So I just work with clients one-on-one. That is a weekly program. We meet for about 45 minutes. And then I also have a mastermind. So people, so actually some of them are also in my one-on-ones who want to have a group of others who are also work with their families. So, because a lot of times we're dealing with similar. Yeah. And I've been in a peer group for a number of years, been on hiatus from it a little bit. It was more from health reasons and other things more recently, but maybe 10 plus years. And a number of those people in the group were also in generational businesses. So this stuff got put on the table. The cards were on the table. Yeah. So I recommend like YPO. I recommend like the family business lines head peer groups. Like I recommend like, you know, I do too. (laughs) And, And the connections you make, the, 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 you, sometimes it's your own issue that you get addressed, but also it's learning from other people's issues and yes. how you, and, so, and sometimes they're the ones where I just sit there and have nothing to say and can't contribute, but I still take something away from it and keep the confidences at the same time, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It can be really powerful. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so you've got, you know, your, your, your coaching. So that's the mechanics. You said the, those one-on-ones and the mastermind groups and, you know, I mentioned to you, you are someone who was writing about life balance, dealing with stress years ago mm-hmm. in the regular times of life balance and dealing with stress. Then along comes a pandemic and all of the various added challenges that had when you had family and, and kind of enclosed in the home or working in remote in different ways or 
how, what are you, how has that changed any of your coaching or what are you, what's, what's some um, tricks of the trade you've learned for helping people cope with added mm -hmm. stress on top of the stress? Yeah, 100%. So one of the things that I became very, well, actually, I think from day one, honestly, Jamie, uh, because I had my own health story of burnout, I decided that I wanted this coaching business to be about the individual. So okay. first and foremost, in everything that we do, we, we make sure the individual is as healthy as they can be. And and not necessarily, we're not talking about diets here. We're talking right. about mindset. We're okay. talking about like, how, are, how is your overwhelm? And I can go into overwhelm if, if you want, because a lot of, a lot of us are dealing with that. Like, how's your mental health? Like, what are you doing for yourself? Like, what boundaries do you have around yourself? Mm. I mean, you and I both know in family business, oftentimes there are very few boundaries, but yet this can be the cause of like family strife. Like you, like sure. maybe your spouse is like, really, we have to do what? This, this family <laughs> dinner is another board meeting, right? That's yeah, the thing we've come up with a lot in this podcast. Yes. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. And so just learning how to have your own voice to kind of run your own race, to be healthy within yourself. Uh, and it includes eating right, includes, you know, could could include meditation or walking mm -hmm. in the woods and breathing exercises, like all the stuff that nobody ever tells you to do. But as a leader, like you, need, you really do need to do. Um, we talk about that first. And then we talk about uh, so oftentimes people are like, ah, my brother is driving me crazy. I, I just want to whomp him. And then we talk about like, your mindset, like what you can control and what you can't control. Cause you can't control mm -hmm. your brother. You could try. It doesn't go very well. <laughs> it's like, it's like the proverbial, like knocking your head against the wall. Like it just, you can't control over other people. And so what we, I give people tools to understand like where they're trying to control somebody else. And then having a clear understanding of like what you can control. Yeah. I, I uh, applaud that. I mean, I, I have that taped on my wall at home when I was working at home, because I'd never worked at home until we all started working at home for a long period of time. It actually faded from the light coming through that particular window, but it was that constant reminder of control what I could control and not try to deal with the not controllable yes. things. And there was a period there where there were a lot of things that you just go, that's, that is, is not, I, I'm not going to be able to control that. So deal with, yes. deal with what I can. We also share sort of a hatred's too hard a word, but a dislike for that badge of busyness, not business mm -hmm. with an I, but busy with a Y. So how, what are, what are some things that you do in coaching or just talking to different people about that? Yes. So Jamie, and like you, in our, in our notes beforehand, like you said, you want to talk a little bit about overwhelm. And I think that's a, this is a really good time to bring up overwhelm because a yes. lot of people right now in today's day and age, whatever you're doing, it doesn't really matter, are experiencing what they call overwhelm. And so I think this leads into the badge of busyness. I'll get there. Okay. <laughs> uh, because I think the badge of busyness is idea of busyness is actually contributing to that feeling of overwhelm. And that feeling of overwhelm, if you can, if you can even just sit there and imagine like what it feels like to be busy, like you're kind of like, shaking almost like you're mm -hmm. there's a lot of anxiety you feel like i can't pause because i have to do all these other things like you have to constantly be in movement um you're you're found like, when i was in busyness 
I was going from meeting to, I mean, literally meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. Yeah. I was like running literally between meetings sometimes. And, uh, and because I felt like in my underlying mindset was like, I have to stay busy. That means that I've made it. If I have a full calendar, mm-hmm. um, I have to prove myself and proving myself equals having a full calendar. And, um, and then what I didn't allow myself is time off. You can't keep running to running to running and running and running. You can't keep managing your mind on the, like, okay. Um, on the hustle. I also talk about, I'm, I'm, I don't like hustle. <laughs> the hustle culture is, I don't like it. Oh, the you t-shirts, can, Detroit, we hustle harder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I feel you can hustle, like in basketball, you can hustle a little bit, like run, like maybe up and down the court once or twice, but you don't do it the higher, entire game. Right. Or maybe in life you do that, you hustle in the game, but then you come home and you take a break. Sure. <laughs> so however you want to think about that, like you don't hustle every single day, all day long for a year. I because hear you. yes. And so often we do because we think that we have to and hustle that that hustle mentality to me is the same as uh the this badge of busyness, this like okay. pride that we have all this going on. And uh really what ended up happening for me is I was having these conversations with people like uh, you know walking down the street of Grand Rapids and running into a friend of mine and be like they're like, hi, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm so busy. Right. Um, which is like, I'm too busy for you. I got to go to my next meeting. Literally, I'm running and um, I have no time for coffee or, or having this conversation. And I just didn't like, and it, after doing that, like one day, I remember very clearly, like I, would, I said the same thing like over and over again. I was like, this is not how I want to lead my life. This is not how, how I want to have relationships. Like I, which was not a relationship. So again, basically. for so again for you as role model, you had to address it for yourself first, hundred percent, before you could then say, "Here's how I can coach someone else on how to deal with this." Yes. What it so what is what are some tricks of the trade for calming the hustle and the busyness yeah. and the badge of busyness? Yes. Or, or first, calming yes. or taming or whatever the beast. Sure, taming the beast. So there's a, there's a few, and I have, again, po- podcasts and things on my website that can also help if you're kind of in. Um, yeah. And when we wrap up, I'll make sure I capture where people can go find some more about what you're doing right. have done uh, because yours is less of a, I've done this for 25 years in the family business. It's you're helping lots of people that are in these family operations yeah. and, and, and our listeners mostly I mean, it's, you're not going to listen to this podcast if you're not finding sort of part of this space. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Go listen to another one about basketball or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, go on, go so, on. Sure, sure, sure. I've got a, I probably, like, I don't know, five or six. So first of all, I want you to ban the word busy from your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Just get rid of it. And if you want to use, you want to talk about your calendar, I want you to say full. Because if you think about, if you feel your body, even if you sit with a hot second and uh, and kind of feel how busy feels in your body, as I just mentioned, it feels like anxiety and like, ah, just need to go. Um, full feels very different, mm-hmm. much calmer. Uh, so switching out the word busy from full. Second of all, I would really like you to think about getting rid of the word overwhelm. Brene Brown talks a lot about the word overwhelm. And what, what she talks about is like, if you're in overwhelm, you are like the scientifically, you are shut down. 
you are not able to move. You're like curled up in a ball and crying. <laughs> and she gives a story about working in a, in, in, a, um, in a restaurant where she was truly in overwhelm twice out of her so a decade of working okay. uh, in, a, in a very busy restaurant. So I, in, I encourage you to Google like the difference between overwhelm and stress. And so I'd like you to work, like you can say stressed, I'm stressed. You might even, if, if it works for you, even say anxious. Mm-hmm. I've got some anxiety. I've got some stress because you can maneuver in those two, two emotions. Okay. And so I think just, get, just really understanding, like if you're saying the word, cause it, words matter, they matter to your body. Um, so if you're in overwhelm, use the word overwhelm. That means like you are not able to do anything, drop everything, go take a walk or a nap. If you are, but if you still are functioning, then you're probably in some form of stress or maybe anxiety and then call it what it is because if you're still moving okay so let's just yeah yeah, so let's assume that you're in stress or anxiety um and i want you if you find yourself in this place to do some continuous breathing exercises Mm -hmm. um to get yourself out of kind of your fight flight freeze mode uh you can also uh take a, a walk um one of the if you find yourself feeling like you're kind of stopping and you're like, I don't exactly know what to do right now. I can't focus. One of the, if you, after you've taken some breaths, deep breaths, you don't even have to do like box breaths or counted breaths or anything like that. Just take some deep breaths, um, which is might be hard enough because most of us high achievers are very shallow breathers. So we mm-hmm. only deal with a very small percentage of our lungs anyway. So if you can get yourself into a deep breath, that's awesome. Um, I want you to try to get to the facts of the situation. So one of the things that calms your, like your system down is if you, instead of dealing with like the what ifs or the unanswered questions in your brain, I want you to get to the facts and you facts feel like scientific. They feel kind of calming. They feel kind of heavy. Like you're getting to the facts. Everybody can agree to the facts. They're scientifically proven. <laughs> so um, there's no argument about it. They're just, it's, it's just a fact. <laughs> um, and so those feel a lot more uh, grounding than whatever's happening in your mind. Cause usually when you're in an overwhelm or your anxiety, like high anxiety or high stress, like you are feeling like your mind is racing and that's why you're not able to, and usually that's why you're not able to focus. Um, the other piece would be to manage your calendar, like a pro. Mm-hmm. And so often I want to talk about in this. You're, you're touching on a lot of, I just, we just finished our annual performance appraisals and a lot of the conversations I have with leaders at this agency, but keep going. Yes. Yeah, yes. And so I used to look at my calendar and like, it's so frustrated. I'm like, that person put themselves on. I'm like so bummed that they scheduled a meeting with me. Like I was angry at the person who wanted to meet with me that I scheduled. <laughs> like I was right. completely being and a victim and- of. And allowed that space to be on your calendar that someone could grab it. Yeah. Right. Like I was completely being a victim of my own calendar. So once I decided like, no, 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 I manage my own calendar. Like I control it completely. Like this is all my choice. It was just such a more powerful place to be. Most of us have a love hate relationship with our calendars. Like I just like really want each and every one of your listeners to stop being a victim of their calendar. Um, you can still do things, even if other people put stuff on your calendar, you can still have some control over that. There's some fantastic productivity coaches out there. Um, 
that can, that can teach you how to do that. But one thing that I would like you to focus on everybody listening here to get yourself out of overwhelm is to be more results focused. This was something that I took me a little while to learn. I'm a little bit stubborn. And once I did like my productivity shot through the roof, like I, (laughs) Um, became so much more productive. I have so much more white space on my calendar. Like I manage my calendar like a pro. Uh, It's just because like every single thing on my calendar leads me to a result. Nice. Okay. Right. So I don't have hour long meetings without a very specific agenda. And this is the result that we're going to create. We're just not going to meet to meet. If you want to meet to meet, let's have coffee or drinks afterwards. (laughs) Right. But no, and I, I mean, the, these six principles that you just outlined for dealing with overwhelm and busy and, and life meets work are universal. They are, these are not just for those that are in generational businesses, other than the fact that the calendar may be filled with some family stuff where there's those boundaries and those blurrier lines, right? I mean, otherwise, I can think, I mean, everybody who works at our agency, I can picture a bunch of our clients that are all dealing with life and work and their own ways of, of going through those, those steps and stages. I'm feeling pretty decent. There are a bunch of people pre- pretending because they can't be the expert on, on the future of work and what's going to change because of what's happened societally, culturally, economically, the last few years, pandemic, everything else. Nobody knows for sure, but stuff changes. And, you know, there's not an app for everything. And so we have there, the, some of these businesses that have been doing things in a certain way for a long time are, are having to play catch up or, or change. So is there, I mean, that's a, that's a really, you know, overwhelm is not a word I think that we've talked about much on this podcast. So when you get overwhelmed or you get that busy, what, what how do you get away from the family philanthropic board, the business family, successful generations. How does, Mm -hmm. how does Ellie Fry say, I need a break. What do you do? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So first of all, I'm not going to use the word overwhelm. Um, but I, and second of all, like I intentionally schedule a lot of vacation. Okay. So I have an ideal week. I have a kind of a program that I learned from Michael Hyatt, who, if you haven't heard of Michael Hyatt, he's amazing. I've seen his, uh, in my Instagram feed, I was trying to sell me his notebooks to find life out. I have it. Ah, It's it's fantastic. I'm still in a Franklin (laughs) planner over here. Uh. Um, And so he has something called the ideal week. Hmm. And I have really taken this and just made it my own in the sense that like, I know exactly when I'm going to work and exactly what I'm going to spend with time with my family. And I schedule Fry, the Fry Foundation right into my ideal week. So sure. every Wednesday morning, like that's my Fry time. And if I don't have any Fry, if I don't have any Fry meetings, no problem. I can fill it with something else. But yeah. like I have designated, there's no like designated time for everything that I want to do. Um, and so that really helps with my overwhelm. I also take uh, vacations. Like I love to go fly fishing in Argentina. I share that very publicly. Um, that is my happy time. So anytime I'm out in a stream um, casting. I got to see people doing it last summer in Idaho. Um, huh? Up close, yeah. Yeah, it's like a form of meditation. It really is like, you kind of feel like you're in God's country. And this is, anyway, it's just 
incredibly spiritual for me as well. Uh, so I make sure that I take vacations. I plan my schedule um, with lots of margin and lots of balance. So I, I purposely schedule every single day from five to nine is family time. And is something in PM or AM? PM. Okay. Yep. And I have a, a kind of like an hour, two hours in the morning. Um, and that way my son and my husband can kind of count on me being fully present during those times. Right. Yep. I do all no, my work. I did. You know, that's interesting because I I talk, use a phrase a lot. I don't mean it in a negative way. You know, that life or a lot of what we do is work is calendar driven because we have deadlines. And, you know, when you're doing media and creative and production, you have to have project schedules and calendars and ours is, you know, when's the run day? What's the air date? And so you're back timing from that, but you also have to fit life into that calendar. So that's, that's a, that's a yeah. nice way to think about it. Uh, you know, so there's, they're getting into it, getting coached, being coached, um, you know, uh, being a leader. I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff. Is there, is there, you know, and the last question I ask everybody of this one universal as I've been doing this is what has been the most fulfilling thing for you about your in your case it's not a single generational business you're a part of but just kind of the the journey you had of being around generational sort of the foundation and the business you've built so can you can you the most, that again? the most fulfilling thing for you about you know what you've the journey you've been on and are still on uh oh there's so much i just i mean honestly the <laughs> Fulfillment is a mindset and I'm in that mindset of, of abundance, right? Fulfillment is like, you could be fulfilled sitting on the couch. <laughs> okay. um, I just happen to be fulfilled. Uh, I, I choose to be fulfilled doing what I'm doing now. And oh, it nice. is every single thing I love to learn. So as long as I'm learning, I'm happy. Uh, I think maybe happy equals fulfillment in, in this particular case. Uh, as long as I'm doing the work, Meaning like if something's not going quite right, instead of ignoring it, figuring it out, that helps to go move me towards fulfillment. But I really love what I do. Um, my, some of my best friends are in family business and some of them have really had had hard experiences and nobody to turn to. So to be uh -huh. able to share the, re the resources that right now that you're sharing, for instance, Jamie, has been really powerful and fulfilling to me. Like, so no, you're right. You do this. If you help one person, it's worth it, right? It is. Yeah. especially. Yeah. Yep. yep. Especially if people are, are in the, I feel alone or I have an autoimmune disease um, or like, and I think it came from, you know, I think it's because I have, I've been hard. It's been hard to manage stress uh, or, or whatever. So I don't know. I just, I, I feel like I am making a difference in people's lives and they are able to live lives that they they see themselves living. And I think that is just really, really fulfilling. Well, that's wonderful. I, I, I mean, I, I thank you for all your thoughts and your time, because if I started a podcast called Generation Excellence, now the gen and the X are a little accentuated there. It's a sort of a little take on the two generations on either side that seem to get all the attention, but you can't be there without successful generations and, and, you know, the kinds of, uh, wisdom and, and real world application you're bringing to people and coaching and guidance is is valuable so i thank you for putting the cards on the table again virtual yes. table here uh you're so welcome and and we'll we'll we're gonna keep in touch because we have we have some other things to talk about so all right thank you so much jimmy such a pleasure thank you for listening special thanks to sam daly 
Eric Head and Joel Bienenfeld at SMZ for helping make Generation Excellence, well, excellent. Until next time, I'm Jamie Michelson.